This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wood, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal Cast and YouTube. All right, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast. And this is, we're taking a, it's kind of abstractly related to MTG Finance. If you've been on Facebook or Reddit or anything, you probably saw the Game Goblins Facebook message thread coming across, which was basically LGS owners saying, hey, uh, tell these people we're out of this price. We're going to relist it at the current market price of $400 or whatever the case was. Which kind of got us to talking, you know, why is this such a scummy thing to do? Why is this bad for business? So figured we'd address that as brand management. Yes. And it's a bunch of different levels, you know, TCG player, uh, LGS, vendors, online, everywhere. So we're basically going to get into, look, brand management matters. It impacts your bottom line and why it's important. Yep. So uh, we want to start with TCG Player. Uh, this one is kind of, because it's the most approachable for, for most people. And it's uh, probably some of the more aggressive uh, brand management that happens because it's not just you that uh, uh, is invested in your brand management. TCG Player is also invested in your brand management. Um, they, if memory serves, they treat it basically like Uber. And after you drop below a certain rating, guess what? You no longer have a store with TCG Player. So brand management is very important to them, and how well you serve your customers is very important to them. And when you're on TCG Player, and I'll pull this up real quick, you can see under you know uh, every vendor there's a, a number, and it tells you the number of satisfied customers and sales they've made. And both of those are, again, very important. Um, you want to pick up something that is a high value. You're going to want to look for somebody with a decent amount of sales and a, a decent rep. And once you're looking at a vendor, you know, for a price you like for a high-end item, you can actually jump in and you can see what's going on with the seller the last 30 days, 90 days, 360, you know, lifetime. And then you can see, you know, some of the comments that are left. And TCG Player just kind of does this automated comment system where if nobody leaves feedback, it's just five stars. Um, and because TCG Player just assumes that, you know, hey, you did what you had to as a vendor. And after a certain period of time, now with a window to leave feedback, positive or negative is closed, you get five stars. Cool. They kind of patched up the eBay uh, system in, in that regard. And overall, it's a decent system and it works out really well. For a while, there was this kind of friction where a lot of people in the like the buyers community thought, well, why would I give a vendor five stars if they didn't go above and beyond? You know, treating five stars like a tip at a at a restaurant. You know, if they want twenty percent or more than twenty percent, they're gonna have to give me something extra. And we're kind of past that point as well now, which is great because yeah. that kind of tanks a brand or was able to tank a brand. Just like giving an Uber driver, you know, four stars or less because they did or did not engage you enough, you know, during your ride. And I, I think the important thing, too, is that, you know, if you think about TCG player, a lot of people, their first thought is, oh, it doesn't matter because, like, I'm just going to buy the cheapest, right? Mm -hmm. Well, as a customer, I've noticed that. That used to be the case, but now it's getting more and more not the case. It's like if I have a choice between this guy that's 15 cents less and Pack Fresh, which is 15 cents more, I've bought Pack Fresh enough mm -hmm. to know what I'm getting from them. 
I'm getting a pack fresh card. That's just what it is. Yep. So I know when it says near mint, I don't need to see a photo. It's going to be near mint. When I've had negative experiences, they've rectified it completely. And it's, you know, it, it used to be the TCG player back in the days where five stars was like a tip. Yep. It was lowest man on the totem pole wins. The cheapest price is the cheapest price. I'm always going for the cheapest price. And now, you know, not just myself, but other people I know, you know, it's the same thing. It's like they've got three or four vendors that, you know, if it's really just a few cents away for like a five to ten dollar card or, you know, a fifty dollar card for a couple bucks, you know what? I'm going to spend the extra money and go with the brand I trust and recognize. Mm -hmm. And it's not about, you know, and again, going back to the when five stars was the tip. Now I'll give them five stars because, you know what? You gave me the same quality product you always do. And. It's one of the most important things about TCG Player now is that, incidentally, just as the market has evolved, them caring about your reputation as a seller has made people care about your reputation as a seller. It's made it so that you have that known entity that, mm -hmm. you know what, you don't have to suffer from the channel fireball damage lottery, troll and toad near mint, you know, those millions of memes from different online vendors. And you know, all right. This company for me, I'm always going to go with them. Yep. When I when I see Harry's House of Cards, I know exactly what I'm getting out of that. And I think that that's you know, something that, as the marketplace has evolved, has become more and more important. Mm -hmm. Because, look, you know, I may at times be all about saving the pennies, but when it comes to my cards, uh, this is an investment. I know that there is a chance that I may sell this one day and I want it to be in as good condition as possible. And I think that's one of the most important things for your TCG player recognition is it ships efficiently and safely and it's in a good condition. Yeah. Yeah. And that matters because you're getting 15 to 20 cents extra per card just because people know what they're getting with you. Uh, absolutely. And it, I think it's not like it goes without saying, but it is kind of important to remember that 100 percent to 99.9 .9 could be the difference of one because we're talking about rounding but 100 to 99.8 is a lot different yes. or anything below that and might you know require a little bit of investigation or anything below that or it might throw you know some flags and it is on the buyer to eventually begin to learn you know this system for their own benefit because it is also up to the seller to ensure that they maintain a very high reputation for their own benefit on the platform and to stay on the platform um like there's uh, i forgot what it was uh xkcd a number of years ago did the math on it and they basically extrapolated it out and said okay if you were to do like a hundred and so ebay sales a month the the following could could happen and never affect your rating negatively yeah uh ordered stuffed tiger received real tiger instead one yeah. you know one star you you do you do enough it's not going to jog anything it'll bring you down from 199.9 but 199.8 and lower is something is going on there it could be a yeah. bunch of threes because like i mentioned earlier people were giving out threes when they didn't receive you know the extra or maybe it's a conditioning thing something else and it's worth the read into and that allows you to be kind of a savvy buyer like you said especially if you're looking for cards for finance yeah. You know, when I when I buy cards to play, I generally look for uh, LP or near mint with the expectation that if I order LP, I'll get true LP because I'm going to play them. They're not meant yeah. to be 
finance vehicles. But if I'm going to be buying cards for finance sake, I do look for vendors I recognize or vendors that have a, a, a fairly high, large number of sales because I feel protected by the, the rating and the number of sales. Well, and that's, you know, some even Facebook pages, you know, Sick Deals is now lowest reputable seller is what you price off of because you could have someone look new set comes out great some backpacker decides i cracked a bunch of product i did great at pre-release i'm going to sell it all on tcg yep. player well at the start you've got to undercut everyone so you can get sales in that's Absolutely. just how it yep. works and then once you have an established brand you start pricing accordingly so of course you know when you search when you go somewhere reputable you want to spend as a reputable or you want to sell as a reputable seller. So that's, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's rippled beyond just TCG player where you're seeing other marketplaces start to adapt. Okay, what's a reputable seller selling this for? That's what we need to base it off of. And, you know, like you said, when you're getting it to play, it's one thing, but it's also, there've been plenty of times where I've gotten an LP card that just has a fold in the middle of it. And I'm like, all right, this is, come on, this is an LP. In what world is this LP? Yeah. yeah. And of course, all of a sudden I block that seller and I never have to look at him again, but it's same deal. You kind of have those places you recognize, even if I'm buying LP to play with, I know I'm not going to fiddle with it. Mm -hmm. I know I'm getting this LP foil and it's going to be an LP foil. Yeah. It's, it's not going to be an MP foil. It's not going to be borderline because they're harsh on grading their foils type of thing. Yeah. And you know, it's, it, it is one of the most important things because TCG player is the largest marketplace out there. Yes. Yep. And that's why, especially on that platform, it is so important. Yep, yep, uh, absolutely. But uh, there's not much more I think we I, we need to say, or, or I really need to say about TCU Player overall and reputation management out there. Um, as we go through this, you're going to find out that we're going to mention a couple of things, and like it all kind of sneaks across. Like whatever happens on TCG Player or in person generally sneaks out into social media as well. Like it's just sometimes a little more damning for other entities than it is different ones like sure enough you can find problems with tcg player vendors on reddit just like you can large vendors right yeah but that doesn't necessarily end your brand you can end your own brand on tcg player through your own sheer willpower if you want sure can so uh moving up the chain we talked about kind of the lgs level yeah so lgs is one that and we've harped on this on the cast that you're your community and your reputation is so much more important at an LGS level than probably anywhere else. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's stores in every city. Oh, that's the Yu-Gi-Oh store. Don't go there unless you want your stuff stolen. Yep. And then, of course, all of a sudden, the other games start falling off because people don't go there. It's the Yu-Gi-Oh store. Or this place has a really good EDH crowd. Mm -hmm. Go there. And there's a couple stores uh, where it's known. Look, if you know you're trading there. Be careful. You're going to get sharked. These people know what they're doing. These are experienced people that go into the LGS, and it's like a bazaar almost. And I think that, you know, with the LGS, it's probably more important than anywhere else. Because once your reputation is ruined as an LGS, there's there's no reclaiming that. There's no reclamation project. There's no second act. Most of the time, you're done. Mm -hmm. You're just out. And it's really important that you have that good customer relation with your player base regardless of the game regardless of the format you need to be welcoming friendly accepting and it's really important to have that relationship with your customer and player base uh give you a prime example so there's a store i've been going to for a while that does i've been going for modern 
and New Wizards event reporter, or whatever it's called, came out. We're paired in the second round. There's two Jasons and two Davids there. We don't realize it at the time. David holds his hand up and says, Jason. I go, yep. We go. We play our match. The other David and the other Jason pair up, play their match. We don't realize until round three pairings come up that we played the wrong person. Huh. There's no fix in the current no. software for that. So guy at the shop was like, hey, guys, you know, this sucks for everyone. Here's my proposed solution. I cannot manually enter results. Can everyone enter results for the third round? We'll end the tournament, restart, and do the second round over again. Everyone remembers how their first round results went. Everyone voted. Everyone was fine with it. We did it. We caught it pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Sure. That's a shop that now everyone who was there that night knows that their tournaments are going to be run well. And when things aren't, they will come up with a reasonable fix that works for everyone and do it. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of thing that, as an LGS, goes above and beyond just having a cool-looking space with cool tables and comfortable chairs, which, don't get me wrong, goes a long way when you're sitting there forever. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, similar to TCG Player. You know quality-wise, price-wise, what you're going into when you buy board games, singles, sealed product, whatever the case may be. Mm. There's even a couple stores that are known for like pre-release weekends just having the sickest sealed pools because they're the ones that advertise it better. They take to the local groups for St. Louis and they're like, hey, check out this sick pool that someone opened at their sealed. Yep. And those are the kinds of things that as an LGS really make or break your relationship with a community because it does enable you to have this brand recognition locally that you are established. Uh, you're the go-to Pokemon store. You're the go-to legacy store. You're the go-to modern or sealed store, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. And that's super important because especially at the local level, and this is something I wish a lot more shops realized, you're not in competition with each other. You know, it, it behooves an LGS to help other LGSs. That's just fact. Okay. And I think that by having that collaborative workspace and recognizing, you know what, these guys run modern on Wednesday, we'll do it on Thursday. That also helps create a welcoming brand for the community at large. Yeah, yeah. Because then you're not feeding off of each, you know, you're not cannibalizing each other's player base. Mm -hmm. It's like, all right, we want to take care of modern because St. Louis is a modern city. What nights are we going to run modern? And there's literally every night of the week in the greater St. Louis area, there's a modern tournament. Mm -hmm. And you know when you go to these places who you're going to run into, what the brand's going to be, what kind of players you're expecting, and just kind of as an unspoken agreement, you know, there's certain stores that the grinders avoid because they say, you know what, we want the more casual players to have their spot. Yeah, yeah. They can play there. We're not going to yuck their yum. We're not going to ruin it. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, in a way, the LGS really has that symbiotic relationship with the player base and creating that community and that brand recognition, because you do have to listen so much more to what your community wants at that mm -hmm. level. You know, you've got the store that doesn't do singles yep. because it just didn't work for them. Yep. That was listening to the community and saying, look, you want sealed product? We got you, whatever you want. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, as an LGS, which Game Goblins is a prime example of this, you cannot be scummy to your community if you want to continue to exist. Yeah. You can't. 
And, you know, TCG player, there is that element of anonymity. There is that, like you said, the 99.9 could just be a simple rounding error. You know, it doesn't really matter. You don't get that luxury at an LGS because rumors spread on Facebook. They spread at Friday Night Magic at other stores. Everyone knows, you know, when Miniature Market closed its singles department, a bunch of people immediately were harping on, well, where are we going to get singles from now? And those rumors spread way faster. And I think that's one of the most important things is, you know, your reputation management at the LGS level, to me, is significantly more critical to your livelihood than on TCG Player as one of the larger vendors. I absolutely agree with that. A, a lot of people don't understand the power of word of mouth advertising. And yeah. that's what sends people to different stores. You know, you move into an area or you're visiting, you'll use the external reviews that you can find yeah. community based. If you find anything on, you know, that people review LGSs on Yelp or uh, Google Maps or what have you, or if you see anything on, on Reddit or, you know, inside Facebook groups, you'll use that because that's as close as you can get to word of mouth advertising besides knowing somebody that lives in the area. And that can also be the truest, you know, form of advertising. And it can also be the most damning as well, because as you mentioned, rumors spread and, a false rumor is going to do just as much or more damage than you know any kind of boon that you can sell somebody on with word of mouth advertising for various stores, you know. And I think that's criminally uh, underrated and understated. Also, the ability to kind of control and like call your online presence and communities in Facebook allows the LGS a lot of room to maneuver and massage and make things work for them as well, you know to yeah. assuage fears and, and deal with issues that way as well and you can be very open about it it's you know a facebook community is kind of the lgs equivalent in my mind of you know um a yelp review where you, the owner yeah. can respond back to somebody and make it right and it is on you to do that because you don't want to push people away you lose people you'll lose your livelihood you lose your business like you said yeah um the, and I think, oh, God. oh sorry, no, go no, ahead. No, you, no, you, 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 by all means, all right, I insist. Well, my point was just kind of going to segue into the next one because it's about an external organization. Um, something I don't know much about for an LGS is the Better Business Bureau. So it does matter. Um, obviously, unethical practices are unethical practices regardless. Yep. The thing is, on the scope you're dealing with at an LGS not likely that they're really gonna care yeah could game goblins actually get in trouble for these messages yeah absolutely if they if there's evidence that they absolutely price gouged and absolutely did this sure uh but for the most part it's something that you know it's not like a target where they change their policy and you're like i'm going to the better business bureau because the better business bureau cares about target it's generally at the lgs level you care but also by the time they would get involved your reputation's already put you out of business. Yep. It, because it's so much faster to act. It's so much more like, yeah, look, I uh, pre-ordered a whole case. Here is my financial records. And they said they had no record of it and told me, you know, GFY when I showed them this screenshot. And they were like, no, we don't have your money. And that's why I think the LGS is far less concerned about it. Mm -hmm. Only because they're so much more likely to just get destroyed prior to it mattering. Yeah. I I, I agree with that as well. When I think about businesses that maintain a Better Business Bureau uh, accreditation, it's very rarely a business that just works locally because yeah. 
it is it is the locals that will take care of that business they will support it or they will tear it down rightfully so and so i, I really didn't think the the bbb is something you need to think about as an lgs i guess as a business overall it's something you, you need to think about because it is still a rating system although a bit archaic at this point in time, I don't know a lot of people who really know about the Better Business Bureau, but it is something I do want to bring up as we head into the next section, which is larger vendors, event vendors, online-only vendors, whatever. Basically, people that own warehouses and sell shit. Yeah. Right, so that's, that's what we're looking at. Um, and this is a space because, you know, we both operate there. and But this is, again, a space where your reputation precedes you. And oftentimes, your problems and shortcomings are put on display immediately on places like Reddit and Facebook, and those are pretty widespread, and they make it out to people who go to events or people who frequent the Magic subreddits, finance and otherwise, so they get to see that fallout, and that happens a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And um, like, it's not that difficult to summon Ben Blyweiss on Twitter. He generally responds pretty pretty easily and pretty quickly to most things. But if you want to see Ben Blywist show up in seconds, summon him on Reddit. Yeah. And he he's there for brand management and reputation management for Star City. You know, he yep. is you know right there. Because it is so important that they maintain that relationship with the community because they ship nationally, internationally. They have their own tournament series. They have a brand that they need to maintain and they can't be having their reputation tarnished by their fault or not and i i think that stands in stark contrast to you know he's he is the magic heel out there oh yeah dan bach of course who his reputation on reddit is oh he's a scumbag whatever else blah 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 but he's kind of like a weird exception and that he still does business despite having an awful online reputation. Uh, you know, it's, it's just stands in such stark contrast to what you deal with, with star city, uh, because he's very much the, the best way to get rid of a scandal is to not acknowledge it. And Ben is quite the opposite. Mm -hmm. He's like the best way to get rid of a scandal is to get involved and explain your side of the story and, try to speak rationally with someone on the internet, which I have so much respect for Ben for doing that because that's impossible. Um, but I, I think that when you get to these bigger things, these bigger entities where you do have this brand management, Star City's kind of unique in that regard, aren't they? Like Ben's one of the only people that's out there. Like you don't have Sasso out there for channel. You don't have anyone out there for card kingdom, right? No. Uh, I don't think any. I don't think you can summon anybody but customer service from Troll and Toad. Like they have a yep. dedicated Reddit account, I believe. Uh, and yeah, I can't think of anybody, any other large entity that really has anything uh, in that regard. And and I think that's one of the reasons that Star City has never really come up as like everyone loves Star City, right? Like sure. You may not like their prices, but you're still going to pay them. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's your your complaints about Star City are the complaints you have about everyone. You don't have the memes like you did with, you know, Channel Fireball Damage Lottery, etc. Yeah. In fact, the damage case at Star City is one of the best places to shop. Yeah, oh, 100%. I, like, whenever I got a chance on an event, I shop that case. That's how I got my GTAs for nothing. Like, yeah. I had a flat. And, and that's another great example of large-scale 
brand management is they're known as like, you know what? Go to the Star City damage case. Yeah. And that's their thing. And that's one of those ways that they kind of manage this just polished good guy image mm -hmm. for a bigger entity. And I think that that's, you know, great for them. Oh, absolutely. You know, and we're looking at brands in that regard. You know, when you look at, and, you know, I mentioned Star City has their own, own events. We mentioned a number of people that have their own events. But, uh, you know, for vendors that go to events, you can have vendors that taint their own image. You can also have individuals at vendors that taint their image. Uh, yeah. Like, I, I can name a number of people that I do not want to sit down with because the game with them is Smash You. Yeah. And it's it's not, it's, it's just straight Smash You. It's not like, have a good conversation, Smash You. It's just... No, I'm just going to destroy you on value with all this yep. stuff. And that's that's one of the most interesting things to me about the large vendor GP scene is, you know, you have these brands that have their established like 95, like uh, hot sauce, card monster, all that stuff. You know what you're getting when you go there. But then you also have the individuals at those booths mm -hmm. that kind of have their own reputation as well. Yes. Like me garrett you know there's all kinds of people mckinney there's tons out there that you're like oh i know that guy i've dealt with him before hey weren't you with this other company yep. last time yeah i go where they pay me type of thing and i think that's you know at that level it's almost more difficult because you do have that meta reputation yes. management yeah that you have to keep an eye on you can't hire someone if it's known that the game with them is just smash you and that's not what you want to be known for. Nope. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, as an individual and as a business at that point, it's on you to have that positive reputation and create positive interactions with people. Because, look, at GPs more than anywhere else, except for maybe the LGS, it is a reputation-based industry. You know, I've had people when I was at Miniature Market walk up and be like, Oh, Miniature Market? I didn't know you guys did events. I shopped at your store. Like, you give great prices on the buy list, and they sit down and they engage in a buy based on that reputation management. And I've had people seek me out at MTG first, and they were like, hey, I dealt with you at Moose Loot. I want to deal with you again. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, you can't have someone go from company to company if their reputation is bad. You're just not going to last long in the industry. Yeah, you'll eventually get bounced out, yeah. Face operated the same way, uh, whether they're in Canada, Europe, or North or uh, the United States. You'll get a lot of those people like, "Hey, I bought from you in Canada, or I went to this event and bought from you there, or sold to you. There it was a great experience." And when I saw you on the list, I knew I was just going to interact with you, or you would be the first one I interact with. You know, and it it's terrific like that. Yeah, and I I think. It's also interesting because there are so many more eyes on you at once. Yeah. At an event like that, that your missteps spread pretty quickly. I'll never forget. It was GP. What was it? I think it was Memphis. There was an LGS there. And within an hour of show open, word got out their prices were insane. Mm -hmm. Immediately, the mistake was made. Every player, every vendor, everyone went there and they were selling stuff for like half of buy list because they were selling it at TCG low because that's what they did in their store. Got it. Yeah. And now they're killing it. 
you know, they went out to dinner with a couple vendors who explained to them, like, look, this is why we were there. This is why we did what we did. You know, you're kind of leaving money on the table. They're doing great now. But that event, that one mistake was so magnified because so many people were there that it immediately impacted their reputation for that event and thereafter. The next couple events they went to, people showed up and they were like, hey, your prices were so much less last time. Why would you change your prices? Mm. Well, so we figured out what we were doing. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's an example of one slip up. One mistake can just get so blown out of proportion in the context of that event because there's so many eyes there. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's like you don't want to be the vendor that buys rebacked power and sells it to someone without realizing because then guess what? Everybody knows at that event yeah. you're the booth with the rebacked power. Mm -hmm. It will come out. It will. Like, it, it's it's ridiculous how fast things spread at events like that and it is quick from the the vendor side as well when you're just looking at operations you know on on the internet things spread pretty quickly as soon as somebody cannot rectify in the way they were hoping to or reconcile something in the way they were hoping to a misstep that was made uh one of the more common ones that you'll see or maybe saw a couple of years ago. I don't know how uh, it really is now. Um, I guess people feel like they get fleeced when it happens. But when you read policy at a number of vendor sites, they basically say, like, our bias numbers are subject to change. And what we give you up front is not what we'll, we will give you at the end. And if we hit quantity yeah. before you get yours in, you missed out on the race, and now your nearments are worth less. And that yeah. is something that often gets out, and a lot of people feel like they lose out in those instances. And there's no wrong or right way to feel about it because it is policy. That's just how business has to be done, and you can't buy infinite everything. And it is disappointing when it happens. To go back to something for like the Better Business Bureau, like we were talking about before, if that's policy that's set forth on the website and it's made clear, the Better Business Bureau cannot actually step in on that. Sure can. They no, they can't. Yeah. They don't deal they don't deal with policy at all. The, but if you were to have sent in the cards and like you mentioned before, the company says, Hey, never got them. Can't send them back. Don't have them. You can go to the Better Business Bureau at that point if you have receipt uh yep. what happened. The Better Business Bureau can basically help you as a customer attempt to rectify issues that basically deal with the the buy and sell of of goods and services, pricing issues not so much uh they, they can't really do much about that as long as the policies around that are made uh available the gaming goblin thing definitely kind of hits the hits the pricing thing when you're looking well they just repriced but at the same time they purposefully canceled orders to do that so now that the bbb can actually step in and, and look at it and a lot of these vendors will look for bbb accreditation because it does matter as i mentioned they sell you know a lot of them sell worldwide and it is meant to be the kind of resource and that trusted emblem like, hey, if I have a problem with this company, they should be able to rectify it themselves. And if I can't, then I can step in and get the BBB involved and they will essentially uh, attempt to arbitrate on my behalf uh, a rectification to the scenario. And I think that's super important to have like, you know, that established reputation that, you know what, they will do something for me. Mm -hmm. They will 
you know what, they're going to make it right one way or another. Because especially when you're dealing with a faceless company online, uh, you do want that security. And there's only so far that, you know, well, my friend shops with them is going to go because if, you know, hey, sorry, we never got your cards. That's not good enough. No. Not at all. You know, just because you didn't screw my friend doesn't mean you're not screwing yeah. me. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of the, the last little thing I wanted to bring up as, you know, a large vendor. You have your customer service lines, your dedicated reps. You want to do brand management and triage as best you can across the internet whenever anything happens and somebody feels like, you know, something was left undone. There's something that was done in an unsavory fashion. And that B, and the BBB thing is, like I said, the, the last step. It is uh, kind of passe. It is like Reader's Digest, not for our generation, it seems. That information never made it uh, along. But it, it is important to your, or can be important to your brand and your recognition within within the space. You know, you can't just buy that emblem without being within good standing with the Better Business Bureau for what that emblem is currently worth. So it, yeah. it does fall into that. Um, anything else you want to go over in regards to like large vendor stuff? No, it seems pretty, pretty succinct and to the point. Picks? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll go first because I feel like it. Yeah, that works. All right, cool. So uh, this week, my pick is a card that kind of spans the gamut between playability outside of EDH and playability within EDH. So uh, it took me a little while to decide what version of this card to go with as they've all been on the rise, but I've decided to go with Chord of Calling, the Ravnica version in particular. So... Uh, you know, you look at stocks and you're like, well, why? And it's been flat for so long. What are we doing with this card? Well, thankfully, somewhere around Strixhaven, it eventually started to pick up. And recently, as you can see on stocks, the market has overshot the average. So people are finally buying back into this card. Now, I added this way back at the beginning of 2021. CK was buying 13 at $2.80. They're buying 24 Five at six dollars forty on TCG Player. They're in ninety six at six forty four, and right now they're forty nine at eleven eighty eight. And this is all LP or better English only. So as far as EDH goes, again, it's another highly playable card across any and all green based EDH decks, which I feel like is the theme of the last bunch of picks I've had. But who am I to complain? Yeah. And especially those that rely heavily on combo or toolbox styles of play. Because it's a creature tutor. So this goes alongside Whirly Tutor and Finale of Devastation as one of the most reliable ways to tutor up exactly the creature you need at a given moment. I thought about Birthing Pod as being in like the top five green creature tutors. But because you need to actually climb the ladder, it gets a little dicey. Now, unless green is your splash color or you can supplement the search with card draw, this is another... I'm putting this word in quotes, foundational card for the format. I would argue that it's in the upper echelon of green creature tutors, floating in the top three. But visibility on it overall just seems kind of low. So uh, including this in the initial build of any green deck seems like an obvious decision, and I would expect over time that not only does the price of this card continue to rise as more people eventually find it, but also it becomes more pervasive within the format, verging on, and I'll put again this word in quotes, stable. So... Right now, when we take a look at uh, EDH recs, you know, it's in 8% of possible decks involving green, and I just think that number is way, way too low. 
even given the fact that green can be a supplementary color in a lot of these decks, you might just use it for ramp, sylvan, library, re regrowth, eternal witness, that kind of stuff. Like the three green pips can't be that hard to, to scrape together. You got Yavamaya Cradle of Growth. You know, you're not trying to put, you know, rub two nickels together here. And then you like looking at the commanders. This is all over. Like everything plays this again. It, you you want to play ramp. You want to play aggro. You want to play like hand size matters. Cool. Here you go. Here's sure. here's quarter calling. It's gonna get you again a toolbox piece or a combo piece. Like that's it. The card just does everything you need it to. So. As far as the timeline goes, you know whether or not uh, it's the Ravnica or the Origins version, there is immediate arbitrage opportunity from TCG Player to Card Kingdom for the first time since I added this card to my list. And my expectation for this card, if there was no external pressure from Modern, would be that Profit to Bylas happens in about six months to a year based on historical trends, like that really flat graph I just showed. That said, if Heliod Company or anything else pops up in Modern that plays this card, we could see a much faster turnaround based on that. And I want to like really stress that. Uh, this card, really right now, only played in Heliod Company, Tokens Company, whatever whatever you want to call that combo deck that just is like Devoted Druid, uh, Vizier of White, make infinite mana deck, right? Because it does exactly what I said it does in EDH and Modern. It finds you your combo pieces or your toolbox pieces needed to build out your board state. So, Modern has the ability to just push this card while EDH is kind of stack like overlooks it and stagnates. Now, there's always a chance that we see this reprinted in a standard set, but having the convoke mechanic means that it's going to be tied to a dedicated, sorry, tied to dedicated development around that. Moving Convoke from Ravnica to Origins means that it's up for grabs almost anywhere, but I wouldn't expect this to truly stifle growth in time. This also makes the Ravnica version fairly palatable compared to the Origins version, as it, alongside the Launch Party version, has unique art. They chose not to upcycle the Ravnica art. They chose to upcycle the Origins art for, I believe it's Double Masters? Yes, for Double Masters. Yeah. Right? So that's why I chose this over Origins, but I did want to make a, the call out about the arbitrage opportunity that exists between both. Personally, uh, I picked up Infinite um, Origins versions when it was printed, or sorry, 2015. I kept saying Origins, I meant 2015. Imagine 2015. Um, I picked up Infinite that when it was uh, $4 or less because the Ravnica version was still floating um, after the birthing pod ban. So that's where I am personally, but in time, um, I'd be sitting on more than four RAV versions. Um, like, they're 11-ish now, so we're probably looking at uh, 8 to 10. And I think that's where I just want to be in that card overall. I want to hit, like, that $100 mark for this and then just kind of pause there. Uh, right now, there's a lot of meat on the bones still for the M25 version, about half the price. So you could definitely look into that if you wanted to pick up more for the long term. Give myself a couple seconds. So, Court of Calling, thoughts? Yes. Yeah, so I I love this pick because it's the type of thing that we've been harping on recently with your series of picks that are good in green EDH. The more aggressive creatures they print, the better this card yep. will get. It's similar to like, I, I think, you know, I hate the secret layers as a concept. I think the current secret layer, the second life one is great because those crater hoof behemoths are only going to be worth more money in the mm -hmm. future. Court of Calling is one of those cards that is only going to go up in value the more they print aggressive dudes. 
It's also the kind of card that doesn't necessarily go great in standard because it needs to have explosive plays to go with it to be really good. And they're trying not to make standard too combo heavy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I could see it, you know, getting reprinted in like an EDH product or something or another Masters, but I don't think, you know, long term this is bad because, again, the direction the game is going in design wise is only good for that long term. Like that card only gets better. Yep. Yeah. For reference, M15, where the uh, cord was reprinted, had the soul cycle in it. And yeah. it came after Theros, which means you could play it with um, Nykthos to make a mm-hmm. good chunk of green. Uh, Sliver Hive Lord was in 15. Perilous Vault, which made the blue black control deck. And if I remember correctly, Urborg and Sliver Hive, right? So actually like yeah. most of the cards I just mentioned, aside from Sliver Hive Lord, kind of set standard once M twenty uh uh Magic fifteen hit or twenty fifteen hit. And then we went to cons and Court of Calling just kind of became, to the best of my memory, this forgotten card. Because Thanks, Collected Company. Well be be even before that, yeah. we had cons come in and we had uh, the Jeskai decks, Jeskai Control Takeover. We had True. Uh, yeah. Jeskai Ascendancy, um, like the tokens version, the combo version. We had the super low to the ground aggressive, uh, mono red aggressive deck that played the Sarkin Planeswalk from from Cons. Yep. Cord was just too slow. There was nothing explosive enough in the format. Per, to your point, that made Cord good. Uh, Rally the Ancestors or whatever the um, the Convoke Reanimation quote unquote spell was actually the spell that got played in Standard towards the end of its lifespan because there was this weird galumpy like combo deck that you could play with thanks to like Nantuka Husk and some other odds and ends. Some of the Eldrazi yep. from Battle for Zendikar just kind of made the deck hum. That was about it. Cord fell off. That's why I have infinite of them. They weren't being played. They were super cheap. I knew I knew how powerful that card was from Modern, so I just why not scoop them up? After all, why yeah. shouldn't I? Yep, exactly. And Court of Calling, the boon of Court of Calling is the reason why Birthing Pod suffers. It's exactly the point you made. They want to keep making good creatures. And I was explaining this to to my wife earlier this week. Think about, it's a funnel, right? Whenever they print a creature in Magic the Gathering, when Birthing Pod is a card that's legal in a format, it's a funnel. And every creature is at the top of the funnel. And it all has to go through one fucking card. Birthing Pod. Yep. That's it. Yep. Every creature now has to go through Birthing Pot. And they don't want to spend the time to chump check every fucking creature and Birthing Pot. So you just cut Birthing Pot. And now you just... Problem solved. Yeah, exactly. You open up the pipeline. You're no longer constrained. That was your that was the constraint on building better creatures, like they said, when they banned Birthing Pot to begin with. And it is aggravating because I thought... I think that card is fair and balanced overall, but at the same time, I understand the design constriction that it puts on the game. I get that. Yeah. The game is better, sadly, for not having Birthing Pod in Modern. But if I want to play Birthing Pod, I can play Nick Fit and Legacy and be my own worst enemy. Yes. Eight eight cards with 52 flex yep. slots. Great deck. <laughs> the <Love> best. <laughs> uh, my pick, by contrast, is going much more on just straight market trends, which, again, has kind of been what I've been harping on. So I am using, as an example, Foil Strixhaven Mystical Archive. Why? Well, 
for those of you that have been watching long term, you know at one point I picked Invocation Divert, saying this card is bad, this card is dirt, but people are going to start collecting these and it's going to be worth money. So we just recently hit the Invocation Surge, where it's now hitting its new floor of about $32 on MTG stocks. Claim the Firstborn and all of the other Strixhaven Mystical Archives have kind of bottomed out. We've reached peak open on those collector boosters. Mm -hmm. We've got them out there. We don't have many paper events happening, so the demand isn't absurd for those. And this is one of those things that, again, is just a low-hanging fruit. So if you want to speculate on the Mystical Archives foils, I'm using Claim the Firstborn as now is the time to do so. Now, one of the things that's going to be a little bit uncomfortable about this is the timeline. It took four years for the invocations to hit. Yep. We have some product constraints due to production with Strixhaven, uh, which may or may not shorten that timeline. That said, you're probably looking at a similar timeline of about three to four years, which is why I said claim the firstborn. It's 50 cents for the foil. That's dirt cheap. Get 20 of them, throw them in a box, and forget about them literally forget about them and then when you move find them in a box and they're worth money yeah. <laughs> because it's going enough time will have elapsed at that point that you'll start to see the collectability of the mystical archives which i genuinely believe are the best of the recent like collectors run product uh be it the alt art japanese or the standard art i think every version of these cards is a long-term winner mm -hmm. And I think now with Strixhaven especially, it's probably the time to buy in because we've hit peak open, peak supply. We've moved on to other products and we don't have paper events yet where people are going to start stockpiling these to be like, all right, I want them in a trade binder because people want these cards or I want them in my cases because people want these cards. They're out there for the taking. And now is the time, I think, to buy in on this stuff. Uh, quantity on TCG player has been pretty static on almost all of these the only one that's had a bunch of liquidity is of course you're going to have the high-end stuff you know, force of wills time walks whatever um but i think again low-hanging fruit least investment with the biggest percentage return mm -hmm. i believe when i picked divert it was around 12 13 so you're looking at a triple up now if you get out at retail i you know i'm not saying claim the firstborn is going to be worth 30 dollars one day but I definitely think I could see the foils being worth eight to ten dollars just based on pure collectability yep. of the set. Uh, for for what it's worth, in the last seven days there have been nine orders for forty one total copies of near mint foils. So you're looking at like what is that four point oddly yeah something per order, which speaks to players. If you read I can't remember the name whoever put out the tcg player article earlier this week uh she did a great job yeah. of basically talking about internal trend tracking and uh whether it was a forced buyout or just natural uh just attrition and uh they basically internal the tcg player uh that, that that's how they look at it Do they look at orders with yeah. one because that's probably an edh player uh if it's anywhere from like one point something to four ish then you're looking at tournament players and above that then you have you know four spikes people buying bricks etc and while the brick buyer does kind of influence the average overall you know you, you can still rely on average per order yeah but it, it, I don't know, pretty pretty simple, and I think it's one of those things that, you know, sometimes just falls under the radar. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I like this as kind of, 
Uh, hmm, let me re rephrase that. You pick Flame the Firstborn because originally from whatever set it's from, Throne, because of its playability yeah. and standard. And I don't remember if it hit there, but it's definitely a historical player card, right? And I think it's yeah. worth noting that these do span the gamut. The Mystical Archive cards definitely do uh, span the gamut. And the, yeah. I think you mentioned the boat has already sailed, obviously, on some of the larger ones, some of the more popular ones, Demonic Tutor, Lightning Bolt, Lightning Helix, right? Uh, those are the ones I yeah. remember off the top of my head. Uh, but there's still like these mid-ground playables in like Cultivate, Claim the Force, Firstborn, etc., that are a decent look now before they just run away. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, you can't find them anymore. Yeah. And I think that's that's where we are right now, and I think this is really palatable. And for that, for that mid, for that middle ground of like playable, but hasn't run away yet, I think Claim the Firstborn is a is a perfectly cromulent uh, option for that. And then people yeah. can just kind of watch those that lag behind on their own. Um, Crows and Grip and some other odds and ends that have also been printed a million, billion times. Grape Shot. Yeah. Whatever. Oh. I think. That card used to be so good. Thanks thanks for managing Popper properly, Wizards. I don't say that often, but I'm saying it now. I mean, you can call it that way. I think it's still pretty good in Cube. If I'm going to storm oh, yeah, somebody out, I want 10 drills or I want a Grape Shot somebody because fuck Eldrazi. Look, yeah exactly i yeah the end that's the way to do it exactly or um 20 crows yeah that's a yeah. good one <laughs> i was like that one's yeah great. there's two like two silver border cards in my cube and yeah crow storm is one of them but yeah i i, I think it's a good pick overall I, I i do like your point about the, the timeline being you know possibly unsavory to some people because this is going to be parking money for a fair amount of time regardless of whether or not the card's playable it's just something you have to recognize when you're moving in on this and trend tracking it appropriately against you know uh the invocations is a great thing to do the invocations don't always represent some of the most playable cards unlike the expeditions so it's a really good a really good look for this and yeah uh, I think the only questions I really have, and I think it's really only time that's going to tell, is, you know, are people going to care more about the alt art Japanese stuff? Are they going to care about uh, foil, foil etched? And how long will the non-foils lag behind? So when will yeah. opportunity on those dry up? Um, that was the move I made. I bought four of a bunch of the the ones that were that are in this mid ground. Approach of the Second Sun. That's another one that's in this midground. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's that's a great midground right. one. All of them non-foil because I figured they'll be cheap now. They'll be cheap for a little bit longer. I can buy them as I, I see fit, and then eventually they'll hit. And if I sell, I sell. If I don't, I have a, a odd brick of interesting looking cards next to me on my desk that I don't know how to uh, file away. But sometimes you need that. It, yeah, it's under the foil. Foil lot I bought that starts with Aether Swarm Cannonist that's worth like nothing. But yeah, neither here nor there. But otherwise, yeah, I, I like the pick overall because I think it's important that we do put up these signposts every now and again to remind people like some of this alt stuff is definitely worth watching and you need to trend track it, you know, on your own if you think it's something you want to move into. And there are obvious callbacks and signposts that we can point to. And so, you know, a yeah. lot of this is cyclical, a lot of this follows the same trend, and it's always good to serve as a reminder. Definitely. Uh, I think that's going to be it for this week, though, right? All good? Yep, we're right, done. Cool. So uh, we are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, YouTube, Patreon, and Facebook. You can find the audio podcast on Audible, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast. Uh, you can find me at Halt I Am Reptar on Twitter. We can find you... 
Anthro. See you next week.